Hello everyone, and welcome to the Talking In Stations Midweek Update. It is currently Thursday, January 31st, or Friday, February 1st, depending on your time zone. This is Season 1, Episode 9 of Talking In Stations. I'm here today, my name is Artemis Albosa, joined by my co-host, Ron USMC. Your favorite dinosaur. We also have our favorite eagle, Silver Suspiria. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in New Eden. And we have one of our favorite guests, Stedio from Pandemic Horde. Hey guys, hey guys. All right, well, let's jump right into things today because there's been a lot going on. It's just like brush fires starting all around the universe, and it's pretty cool. So let's get going. First and foremost, we had an interesting fight that took place, and what's more interesting is sort of what happened after the fight. Ron, you're more familiar with the situation than I am, so why don't you walk us through what happened? All right, so first I just need a clarification. Which interesting fight? We had two really the big The Titan ones? fight. Okay. <laughs> All right, so the Darkness Titan. Uh, you know, you feel so bad uh, for this. So, you know, Sword Dragon came in uh, TIS Public, and he was explaining it, and I, you, do, you just feel sad. So basically... Uh, Sort gave um, Vendetta, this Titan, a week prior. And the guy was bridging for a fleet, but instead of bridge, he jumped. Like the classic meme. He jumped in. um, You know, nice little fight happened, but he wasn't prepared for that, right? And it was a brand new Titan. So, you know, you you feel horrible, but it is what it is, right? Like, It's that muscle memory, man. You've been flying caps or jump freighters. You know, you're just used to click jump, you know, and it happens to the best of people. Yeah, it was a nice response, though, right? Like, they it jumped was. in some more stuff. He's showing the BR right now. They, they, they were trying to save it. Like, they didn't abandon it, which is awesome. Like, that shows a lot of class, in my opinion. Yeah, and it turned out to a, to be a decent fight. I mean, uh, you know, Darkness kind of took it on the chin, but, you know extracted content out of it and i'm sure uh he won't have too much trouble replacing it it shows that supers are actually fairly easy to kill with a handful of dreads if they aren't properly protected by a bunch of faxes because i'm only seeing how many dreads are here looks like a dozen dreads killed the titan just because there were no faxes ready to jump in and save it because they weren't planning on dropping supers. Yeah, apparently they just rage pinged. As soon as the Titan jumped in the system, they just like rage pinged and they had like a handful, you know, of dreads and whatnot that were able to get there because they just didn't plan on it. It was supposed to be just like a fight or whatever, but uh, I just feel bad for the guy. All right. Well, that is that story. It's interesting that, sort, or it was rather nice that Sword Dragon hopped onto Talking and Stations Discord, the comms channel sort of explained what happened. People could ask him questions. Ron was there hanging out with him. So if you want to get that sort of inside scoop on these fights as they're happening, make sure to join our Discord server. In other news, there has been a fantastic new Eve trailer that came out. And I am I'm super pumped about this trailer because in the past, when CCP's released trailers, they've been like cinematic sort of things. They've been like the This Is Eve trailer, which is a phenomenal trailer. But a lot of it, a big complaint was that's not what Eve actually looks like, right? It's not how you actually play the game. 
And this one, it not only gives you a bunch of views of what the UI looks like, what players actually do in the game, but it also gives you a walkthrough of all the tons and tons of different things that you can do within EVE Online. And so like if now, if I'm trying to explain, you know, what is EVE Online to somebody who's never heard of it, this is my new go-to. Like previously, I would have no option. I'd have to sit there and sort of fumble around, maybe pull up multiple different videos to show different slices. But this one, it, it just covers everything. I am 150% with you. You know, because um, so, I work in UX and, you know, one of the things is always about, you know, what's that user experience like? And I love that this is such a great introduction to the game, you know, and it it reminds me of that old image, right, of like all the different things you could do in Eve, you know, and it was like all these little boxes. But like it never told you how you could do any of this stuff, right? Like it was always just random. So I've watched the video three or four times. I really like it. I, I think it's a, a wonderful thing to be able to point people to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's another step that CCP has been heading in the right direction the past year or maybe two with cracking this mystery around Eve, right? Like Eve is sort of this enigma in the gaming world where it's an MMO, it's touted to be a decent one, but it's so shrouded in mystery. Is it spreadsheets online? Do I, what is it? You know, so this is another step forward to, you know, pull up that curtain, man. It's it's a game that can be played and, and it's really good. I, I agree. Sidio, have you ever like had the experience of trying to explain EVE Online to someone who's never heard of it before? Um, yeah, I just say it's like, uh, it's just me at night yelling at a bunch of nerds. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you guys ever have that problem? Like, you, you try to explain to somebody like your family. Like, I remember on over the holidays, like, oh, you went to Iceland. Why'd you go to Iceland? I was like, oh, for this gaming event. And they're like, oh, what game? I'm interested. And the more I talk about it, their eyes glaze over. They start looking around. And I'm like, I, I can't. So having stuff like this is really helpful. Yeah. Right on. Good job, CCP. It's nice that we have this trailer coming out, and so it's sort of the hook, right? You can you can explain what is EVE Online, and you're like, oh, that caught your attention. Well, there's actually a bunch of interesting things happening right now that you can get involved in. I was talking before the show with the crew, and we were, I made the comment that we need somebody to invade, like, Dell, Fountain, maybe period basis or something, because right now, we have wars going on in three out of the four corners of Sovereignty Nullsec. We've got a war going on in Pure Blind. We've got a war going on that's in the Northwest. A war going on in the Kalavala Expanse in the Northeast. A war going on in Amensi in the Southeast. We've also got a war in the middle of the East in, in Ethereum Reach. But it's just that little tiny corner around Delve that's not got a war going on. It would it's the last missing piece. Somebody please go invade like Delve or Fountain or something. It'd be great. It's strange. It's always big red on the map. I know, right? Well, besides Bomber's Bar, I think is what he's trying to say. <laughs> it's, it's funny you mention that because I've been keeping an eye on the excavator killboard recently. Just because bombing of excavators has become so popular. And despite the fact that so many excavators are just getting hunted because of their shiny kill mails, and I think there's some dude who still does a program, but like if you give him kill mails of excavators you killed, he'll pay you like 50 mil for each of them. I'll have to look up that website and see if it's still active. But despite all of that, 
I swear rats are responsible for more kills of excavators than other players are. Just to tell you how much people are AFKing in their works in this game. It is insane. It's interesting. Yeah, and those faction or, you know, just those dreads show up, right? The NPC dreads show up and they just one-shot you. Boom, boom, boom. But in any case, let's talk about the fighting that is happening. Uh, some of the stuff we don't have a bunch of information on. There's actually been some good reporting on, in particular, the Ethereum Reach conflict since it began, most for the most part, by the New Eden Report. So if you're more interested in the fighting that's been going on there more recently, as well as sort of the history of the groups involved, I recommend checking out the coverage from the New Eden Report. But as far as the current conflict that's going on, it looks like there's been another push to try and take over the sovereignty that currently belongs to Prothean Alliance. So back in the beginning when war was first starting out, this was around the time that the station flip was happening, Prothean Alliance owned the majority of the Sov, but it was generally understood that they didn't have the manpower or the skill to keep it. So it was just a matter of all of these smaller groups that were hanging around as well as un or Unspoken Alliance who had just started moving in as far as how quickly they wanted to expand and take the Sov. And for a while, you'd see sort of on the border of where the Sov touched each other, there'd be some fighting over those border areas, but not really a major push as far as reinforcing the majority of Prothean Sov, at least that I saw. However, now we're seeing a lot more timers almost daily happening and a little bit of skirmishing happening as a result. But if you want to dig more into what's been happening, I'd highly recommend go check out the New Eden Report. They've been doing some fantastic coverage as of late. We've also got some fighting going on up in Pureblind with Triumvirate fighting the current residents. Triumvirate recently kicked out of their home down in its mother, as well as they had solved in Scalding Pass and Detrid. We've talked about that on previous shows. And they also had a fight where they tackled an Erebus, tried to dread bomb it, and then couldn't dread bomb it because just there were too many other entities that came around, saw a Macario fleet and a bunch of dreads, and decided, I'll take those kill mails, and sort of jumped on it. So it's like Tri has jumped out of the frying pan into the fire here in Pure Blind, but I get the feeling that's sort of what Tri wants, right? I don't know, is it? Um, we're doing pretty good out of this conflict. Um, Horde's picked up, I think, two new Tricorps, so thanks, Tri. Yeah, that's, oh, wow. that's actually big news, right? Yeah, they just picked up, oh my gosh, two corps. And there was another one as well. They've, you know, Horde's been doing great on that kind of recruiting, the corp recruiting level, right? And they're getting yeah. bigger. Yeah, they've yeah. been doing great so we're, with that. We're only recruiting like passively at the moment. We're not really, you know, putting it out there. But you know, people come and ask us and, you know, we have a talk to them and, yeah, and bring them in. That's really good. But I, I wonder if that's what Tri wanted. Meaning like Pure Blind had this um, look to it like it was quiet, that was burned out from the war. And it was like that for a period of time, probably early fall. Um, but it's certainly not anymore. So I'm wondering if they if they were looking for someplace quiet to rebuild and then wound up right next to all these guys. I don't, I don't know. I'd like to ask them. Well, if you think about it, the last time everybody was talking about Tri dying, they were fighting the DRF and they just lost their Keepstar. And they didn't move. They just sort of kept on fighting the DRF and somehow turned everything around. So I feel like they, they thrive as an alliance when there is ample content available. And we'll have to see if they can continue to 
thrive as a result of the content or if maybe they've shrunk too much like they've lost a bunch of corporations they've lost a bunch of members they may just have bitten off more that they can chew with their new size we'll have to see and we'll keep you guys updated on it well you'd, you'd assume like going to pure blind would be like to rebuild quietly because there's fuck all there you know except um sma so it looks to me if you want to go to pure blind you just want to bully sma really no, there's several groups up there that. Well, you used to live up there, didn't you? There, um, Silver. What are all the groups that you guys are into? Yeah, I mean, I got evicted from Pure Blind. You know, that, that's where I got evicted from. You know, Snuff lives in our space that where we were now in Pure Blind. Um, so there's there's Snuff, there's Old School, there's SMA poking around, there's Pen is Out and Cloud Ring who loves to go up to Pure Blind. Um, there are a lot of groups up there. Yeah, but it's pretty small scale, like um. Like a lot of small groups, going rather than like huge, big, you know, uh, like what, like life or death fights. Yeah, it's a lot of skirmishing. It's a lot of, you know, 20 on 20, 20 on 50, that kind of, you know, fun kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I was just thinking, I don't know if we've been evicted from Pure Blind or not, but if we haven't, I'm sure eventually we will at one point or another. <laughs> small groups, but they're rabid. Yeah. Well, Silver, you got evicted from Pure Blind, and then you moved down to Immensi, and now it looks like people are trying to evict you from Immensi already. So, what, what's going on down there? I don't know about eviction, uh, but but yeah. So we we moved down to uh, to Immensi. It was a long trip for us. We get there, and we're the fresh salve on the market, right? And like not even a day after flipping it, uh, we had people toasting, you know. And I I think it's. It's just the easy pickings, right? But SkillU has been just coming across, looking for content. They've been doing a really good job at it. They're good at like making you make a mistake, and then you know it causes a big fight. That's all, you know typically in their advantage. They rarely engage when they're not in an advantage. Um, yeah, so they've been they've been driving a lot of content, um, not so much objective stuff, but uh, definitely taking their picking on super ratters. They've caught Roracles and all these cause fights and stuff that come out. You know. So it's been good content for us. You know, we like to be on the front line like that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. There's one final fight that's been going on that we haven't really talked about yet, and that is fighting going on in the Kavala Expanse. So this used to be prime horde ratting and mining territory. But as we saw last show, I went through the numbers from the monthly economic reports it hasn't really been generating that much income since October, but it was a major point of a major target as a result of the legacy invasion that sort of didn't happen into Geminate and the Kalvala expanse when we started seeing Sob getting burned. And now the word on the street is there's actually a Goonswarm SIG that has moved up there and has been focusing on taking out the Sob and the infrastructure there and just generally making sure that it is unsuitable for crabbing. I was just going to say that our space attorneys have, you know, reiterated that it was not and never has been an invasion. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Studio, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with Calavella, uh, I think, like, I think there's like a, t a group of TNT there at the moment, but it's just clean up for us. Studio is kind enough to be talking to us from work right now. He's in the Australian time zone, but that 
does come with some connection issues. Hey, perfect. All right. So, yeah, can you hear me now? Yep. There we go. I was pushing the wrong button again <laughs> with, <laughs> <laughs> with uh, TKE. So, yeah, we um, it was never hauled rating space. We rented it out to renters. Uh, we haven't charged them rent since uh, the goons moved in, basically. So it's been like, uh, yeah, just uh, as hoard as a whole isn't really worried about it. It is rental income that isn't coming in, but whatever, you know. There's others. We've got other force, uh, forms of in income. Um, yeah, it's just we've deployed our partisan sig there, which is like an open PvP group, and they're just cleaning it up at the moment. Um, yeah, they, we're not really facing a whole lot of significant challenges at the moment down in TKE. Yeah, and we've had some good fights out of there. I mean, there's been some fun fights and on forts and whatnot. So, I mean, it's been some good content. I'm sure your guys are enjoying it. We're, you know, our guys are enjoying it as well. So, Ron, you said you've had some good fights out there as a member of Test. Are you guys, you're not still staging up near Geminate, are you? I thought you moved. Well, we're still in Ouija board. I call it Ouija board. It's Ouijanen or however the hell you say it. But, yeah, we're still in Ouija board. Um and you know it's a hell of a couple of jumps right it's a it's some jumps over to kavala so we go over there um we get some good fights um you know some structure bashes and because i'm not sure which goon sig if if it's more than one or what but there are some goon sigs over there just kind of burning the place down um, but we go over there and you know and have some good fights and whatnot but yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed it. Um, it's, you know, for the northern kind of hunting area, like it's been a lot of a lot of great fun for there. Interesting. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on how that, whether it becomes more stabilized, if the groups continue to be able to farm content, we'll keep you guys updated. But let's let's get into the meat of today's show, which is what I am super amped to talk about because I I did some trolling through the killboards and found some interesting numbers. So let's talk about the war that's happening over the Jita offshore market. So first of all, a bit of history. When Citadels came out, they included the ability for players to install markets on them. This meant that you no longer had to use the market in NPC stations. And in order to incentivize this, players could set the tax rate. So you could set a tax rate below the default sales tax for NPC stations and incentivize players who are buying and selling things at stations to use your station instead of the Gita 4.4 market. Uh, this has typically become called the offshore market, where people will go one jump out of what is the typical trade hub. In this case, it's perimeter, one jump out of Jita. They'll put up their own market, and then they'll put up sell orders and buy orders to get things at the lower tax rate and save some money, make some extra profit. Now, when this first started, it wasn't really clear who was going to own it. Eventually, I Choose You came in, Horde came in. We did a whole segment on this last time Steady was on the show, if I recall correctly, sort of discussing how that situation occurred. And then recently, Test Alliance came through and said, hey, listen, we have some issues with Horde and Gobbins. We see that this is a source of income for them, so we're going to take it. And they did. And there's been constant fighting over it ever since. But recently, it's been coming back into the news because Horde has been teaming up with NCDOT, Northern Coalition, and has been shooting the Keepstar, the Tranquility Trading Tower, which Test anchored, and there have been some pretty big fights over that. So, Stedio, can you quickly walk us through what have you guys been doing as of late? Um, so, yeah, 
there was a big fight um, over the Keepstar. That came about because we formed quite quite a lot of dudes um, to defend an Asbel timer, uh, which was blue balled, and then so to give them something to do with, they went for the Keepstar, which uh, turned into an hours and hours long fight. Um, with uh, yeah, just I think Test changed doctrines from Dominixes to Feroxes. Uh, yep. because you know now it's just Ferox <laughs> now Ferox versus Ferox is, is the most is efficient way to, to fight now in high sec so it's um yeah it's uh that that was a long long brawl and then we went uh, there was another another one that happened yesterday as well um, another big huge brawl um, over another Asbel timer so yeah that was yeah I think now with uh, NC has just came in and have really uh, they're loving it you know they're enjoying the content and so is Horde, and um, so is Test, I'm sure. Yeah, and no offense, Stedio. You know I love you. You know I love Horde. But I have to tell you, the NC guys are just stepping up the game. I mean, would you agree? that? I mean, they're they're just knocking it up a notch. Like, it is some really good fights. Like, really good fights. And you are right. Um, so that was, I think it was five hours four and a half hours and the first hour we were in dominix's but with you know the sentries and the drones with the tie-dye right because that's the funny part i mean we were in what like 10 percent tie-dye in freaking perimeter that's hilarious and with the drones it, it it was just too long right you know the the dps was taking too long to get there uh so after about an hour we switched over to feroxes and you know the other funny thing about that fight is we cleaned out Jita <laughs> between us. We cleaned out Jita. No more Feroxes. The only Feroxes were like 80 mil or something, and that's like a 30, 35 mil hull. It was really funny. A really quick question for you, Ron. When you're using your Dominic's fleet, are your individual pilots controlling their own drones, or are you assisting your drones to target callers? Individual pilots. Okay, so that does remove a bit of the lag, but nonetheless, if anybody's curious why the sentry drones struggle in tie-dye compared to like regular turrets, it's because the drones themselves are like little individual ships. So when you assign your drones to shoot something, even if it's a sentry drone, while it doesn't have to move, it still has to lock that target and then activate its weapons. So there's an extra couple of steps in there that takes time and takes a long amount of time when you're talking about tie-dye situations. Plus, having all those drones out there, more things for the server to have to make calculations around, it makes tie-dye even worse. So that's why the drones cause a particular bit of an issue. And we've seen things sort of coalesce into Feroxes. That's one thing I noticed when I was looking through all the battles that have been happening in and around the offshore market for Jita recently. It's just the number of doctrines that have been used. I made a list of just the ones that I saw in January alone. All right, So this is just what happened in the last month. We've seen Lashaks, which are pretty standard for the Asbel structured bashing. We've seen Armor Scorpions thrown into basically literally every single other Doctrine. We've seen Sentry Dommies with some Typhoon fleet issues as support. We've seen Munins. We've seen Tornadoes. We've seen Feroxes. We've seen Smart Bombing Rokes used to counter the Dominixes. And we've seen Eagles. And that's just January. That's not all of the other months of fighting we've had before this. A lot of railguns. Somebody can make money on the railgun market, I think. It's absolutely hilarious, man. All the damn different ships and the rokes, you know, are smart bombing. And sometimes they're neutrals, 
right? So the neutral rokes come in and smart bomb to try to get the sentries off. It, it's just, it's hilarious, man. It's hilarious. Studio, can you walk us through? So you're an FC, you've FC'd some of the stuff that happens in high sec. Could you explain to us what are the differences between fighting in high sec versus fighting in null sec that lead to this uh, plethora of doctrines being used for various types of things? Yeah, so we have, um, so you can't, there's no caps, you can't, you can't be bubbled, uh, you can't be bombed. So it does really open up a lot of your options. Uh, in null sec, you're often thinking about that. Um, Ishtars are great in high sec, uh, versus eagles especially, because you know, their main weakness is getting getting tackled and stuff. So, but yeah, um, with yeah, it's it's it does really open up your options, and you can do some meme stuff. Um, Ferox is obviously are now the default. Just they're just so efficient for what they do, the range and the the damage they do, and the tank they have. So it's um, I mean that's now the default. But it depends on the numbers. Like we did some Goku fleets as well, uh, when Test started bringing up um, their uh, megas and stuff. Yeah, that doctrine. So we, we had like Goku's there, and then we had we, really yeah we had a hundred MNV and eyes for a bit as well, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, to yeah to be like cheap hundred MN gearers. So yeah, it's been um it's been a lot of trial and error too. You just gotta go with what works. So one interesting point is that you also can't use MJD destroyers. You can use self MJDs, but you can't use the AOE MJDs that the MJ Desis give you. And so that means, in particular, where we had the fights over the Keepstar, in high sec, as we mentioned, you can't use caps. And so this is going to be, if it does actually, like, die ever, it will be the second Keepstar to die to only subcaps. But the first one was initiative killing the Hard Knocks Keepstar, but that was in a wormhole, so they used their Boosh Raven fleet. Whereas in this particular case, you can't use the Bush boost modules, which means you basically, you have to fight within the defensive range of the Keepstar itself. Now it can't use any of its AoE, right? So can it use its Doomsday? Can a high sec Doesn't Keepstar have a use doomsday. its Doomsday? High nope. sec, no. Okay. It can't use a PDS, it can't use any bombs, but it does still have very powerful anti-subcap weapons, very powerful fighters, and very powerful EWAR. So those are all things which it can use and that you can't avoid because of the lack of the AoE boost module, which we see to be very powerful in null sack and in wormhole space. The other thing to just really quick add, you know, which kind of adds to the craziness of this fight is we're right next door to Jita, right? So we can reship, you know, we can change doctrines. Like it, it's just pure madness. <laughs> like these fights are so fun, you know, and, and like Steady was saying, like NC's getting in on them, like a bunch of people, goons are getting in on them. They're a lot of fun because there's no escalation. There's no capitals. There's no bubbles. If you want to tackle something, it's one ship tackles another ship. And that's that. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So you get like mini fights over the Jita gate and stuff like whoever can hold that so they can get their reinforcements through and all sorts of stuff. That is super interesting. I didn't realize that that made it into sort of the way that combat happened. Do you see those sorts of fights happen when you're fighting over Asbels as well, or is it just sort of these big battles in perimeter over the Keepstar where you see fighting over the reinforcement routes? Uh, it's mainly just the big, big battles where everyone's losing a lot of, lot of ships and need to need to reship in Jita. Uh, we do have caches and stuff too, so it depends. You know, when that runs out, you got to go to Jita, and if you want to go to Jita, you got to hold the gate, otherwise you're just going to get your reinforcements tackled by, yeah, by whoever's holding it. Uh, let me ask you a question. 
do you guys have you seen spies on either side hear a doctrine called we're running back to Judah to get in Ferox's and then somebody gouges the Ferox's? Oh, I wish I was that rich, mate, but not me. <laughs> Is that type of war going on? I, I think Stedio said it right. I mean, Ferox's are just the kind of default, you know, and we went with Dominic's at first, but the, just with the, the tie-dye, Dominic's was such a big battle. It was just, we were just losing pretty badly. So we reshipped into Ferox's and then, you know, hey, now we leveled the playing field and now we can have some fun and we're just fighting back and forth, right? Then it's just like a numbers game and it's a reship game, right? Because uh, just like uh, the the fight that happened yesterday, um, that was hilarious because uh, Horde actually, and, and I don't know, and you don't have to comment, Studio, but uh, so Horde was using the NPC station at Planet 6 for their reships. So we took, you know, Tackle over to Station 6 and was hold- <laughs> we're holding the undock on this, you know, as they're undocking, we're tackling them so they can't, you know, offer reinforcements to their main fleet. So it's like all these like little mini battles. And then it's like, oh, now the Jita Gate. Oh, now the Ninja Gate or whatever. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but yeah, as as yeah, with um with buying up the whole market, that would be great, bro. But yeah, I don't know if we got anyone that rich. I did want to talk about really quickly, just to put into scale the size of the fights that have been happening here, relative to over the Keepstar in particular, relative to other fights. So there are no capitals, um, which means that the isk value of these fights, right, the amount of isk each individual player puts on the field, is significantly lower than fights you'd see in low sec or in null sec. And so they could seem relatively small if you're not looking at the actual number of pilots who are fighting here, which is literally like almost 2,000 pilots in the initial shield timer of the Keepstar fight. But so I took in just January, looking at January, the amount of fights that happened, there were five fights that were of the scale for me to care. And those five fights combined, Test ended up losing 64.8 billion Horde ended up losing 30.5 billion just in those fights. And then the Keepstar fight, there were two of them. There's one for the shield timer, one for the halt or the armor timer, which Tess ended up saving it, the armor timer. Tess lost 57 billion. So in these just two fights over the Keepstar compared to the entire rest of January, Tess almost lost exactly the same they did the entire rest of the month. And then Horde lost 39.8 billion. That's more more, almost a third more than they lost in all of the rest of January. So these keep star fights, they are, or pardon me, not just Horde, that was Horde plus NC, etc. So these keep star fight is really kicking the conflict and especially the loss of ships up by a massive margin. Yeah, and it wasn't really like a, a huge objective, you know, it was just uh, something to do while we, you know, to, to keep, keep the guys busy, to give them a reason to form, really, while, um, the Asbel repaired itself. It's interesting you mentioned keeping people busy because I went through and I also looked at how many Asbels have died in the print, or pardon me, not how many Asbels have died, but how many Asbels Test has killed. And it's worth noting that all of the Asbels Test have killed have killed 15 of them in January. And every single one of them was online with the market on. So all of these tricks that we've been talking about recently that Ron has mentioned on the show a couple times where you, you mess with the new war deck mechanics since the changes, they have been successfully getting markets online almost every single time. 
And of the 15 Asbels killed, you have to remember, that's three timers. So they've killed 15 Asbels. That's at a minimum, assuming every single timer they show up for, they win the fight and push it to the next timer. That's 45 different structure bashes. That's more than one structure bash per day in high sec for Tess to be dealing with. That's crazy. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the trenches, mate. My life a year ago, now it's yours. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's also worth noting that Horde aren't the only ones putting up Asbels. In January, we had one group called Knights of the New Order. Uh, their ticker is for code. They definitely do some high set ganking. I don't know if they're actually related to code. They put up an Asbel, which uh, Test killed. And then there's also this group, which I am super interested in, but couldn't find any details on. They're called the Spectre Navy Corporation. They put up an Asbel. But I looked at their killboard, and they have been trying to get in on the Jita offshore market since September of 2016. To put that into perspective, Citadels, the initial release with just Fortizars, Keepstars, and Astro Houses, were released in April. Okay, so this is only a few months after Citadels were released. This is still when the market hadn't been completely consolidated under Horde and I Choose You. And they started putting up Fortizars because Asbels hadn't even been released yet into the game to try and capture this market. Since then, they have put up two Fortizars and 15 Asbels over the span of what is two years now trying to get a slice of this pie. And they have lost every single one of them. And they've lost a total of 95.7 billion ISK in structures that they have tried to put up to capture this market. So I just have to say, uh, so EMR, uh, one of our patrons, uh, we were just sitting here chatting, you know, in the TIS Discord public chat one day. And he's like, Ron, I just want to tell you, I just, I just need to admit something to you. And I said, okay. He's like, so I tried to put up an Asbel. <laughs> and he's like, you guys got me 33 minutes after I dropped it. And he's like, and you guys killed it. But I just want to let you know that I did try. <laughs> so he might be one of those small ones in there. Anyway, that's just... So Horde themselves, they put up 13 this month, at least as far as I can tell, based on the killboards, the various corporations, because they're using a lot of shell corps to put them up so that they can cycle war decks and abuse those mechanics. So that was 13 from them. They lost a total of 76.6 billion in structures. Oh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say abuse, mate. I'd say take advantage of. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. So it, it's it's utilizing mechanics. Yeah, I mean, because abuse can you know sometimes sound like you know bad, but no, it's not. You're just util, utilizing mechanics. Yeah, I we're I playing agree. the game to the rules, you, you know. So that's all you can do, right? What a freaking crazy game! We put some up, you know. It's uh, it's good fun. Get some fights, you know. Get some. Get some whiskeys out of the out of uh, the the main the main objective really obviously is just to take money off test right. And we appreciate your patronage. <laughs> Are you willing and able to give us any numbers on the income you're getting from those Asbel studio, or is that like purely offsex sort of stuff? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's um, it's just you know you put your Asbel up, you make it point one. And then you take money off Tappy. Is, is, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our, our, our objective is to make sure Test doesn't uh, have a, you know, have 100% of the market. And I think we're doing pretty well on that objective. 
Interesting. All right, well, that is an update on the fighting that's been happening in Perimeter. It's it's only looking to be escalating compared to the numbers we saw. I didn't pull the full numbers, but just the number of Asbels that were dying, the number of fights that were happening in December and November, significantly less, as far as I could see on the surface, than what we're seeing in January. And as I mentioned, is if Horde continues to push after this Keepstar, which maybe they won't if it was just something to keep them busy, but if they do, the fights that that is generating is just on a completely another level compared to the stuff we're seeing over these Asbels. But these Asbels alone, like you're talking 200 billion worth of losses just over this one market in a single month. That's pretty crazy. All right, does anybody have anything else they want to mention on today's show before we start wrapping up? Um, so yeah, just want a big shout out to uh, the Tappy campaign. You know, um, I think since I last spoke to you, Tess decided to anchor a staging fort in Geminate uh, we killed that um, before it could be anchored. We killed the Rockle that was trying to anchor it. Um, then a few days later, they saw the supers that we dropped on a Rockle, decided to bait those with some dreads. Uh, we put out our own bait. They dropped their dreads. We dropped our supers. Uh, we killed something like 300 caps to a loss of something like 66 faxes, uh, 260 of theirs being dreads. And um, pretty much stopped the campaign with our skull, as it were. So pretty happy about that. I'm still... Still a little bit smug, especially after getting called out personally and pings from particular alliance leader. So yeah, <laughs> pretty fucking rat. <laughs> All right. Well, Stedio is giving a shout out to the Dino Bros test, or pardon me, Ron. Who are you going to give your shout out to? I'm going to give my shout out to the backstabbing bastards of Snuff. <laughs> That's my shout out. We got you, buddy. It's all right. Don't even worry. We didn't really talk about that, and now I think you have to. Well, hang on, because he has introduced them <laughs> as the backstabbing, the backstabbing bro, so I think we should give a bit of context here. So what happened was, as I understand it, uh, Test Alliance was moving some supers, and they spotted Snuff also moving some supers. And Snuff and Test had been working with each other for a while now, for a few months, just working with each other, taking fights together, et cetera, et cetera. They had open lines of communication. And there was a, a bit of trust from Vili towards Snuff. And so Vili reached out. He talked to their FC. He said, hey, where are your supers going? And Snuff said, we're going to a fight in Amamake. And so Vili's like, all right, and continued to start moving his supers through. Then two Titans and a super jumped to a Sino. The rest of them were held back for a bit of time for safety purposes and snuff drops on them. Now, it's worth noting they weren't blue. It was just that Vili had interpreted what snuff had said to them about them moving their supers as saying, we're not here to attack your move up. And so it, it felt like a betrayal from Test's side. From my point of view, I haven't, like, I don't know the history between these two groups. It seems to me like an assumption was made that shouldn't have been made, but apparently it ruffled some feathers. Yeah, and, you know, from the line members' point of view, you know, and everyone in fleet, like, oh, never trust Snuff. Oh, yeah, Snuff, 29, trusting Snuff in 2019, yeah, that's a meme. Like, so, but, you know, for Vili, you know, Vili had a relationship with him, right? And and that went back a couple of years. So, you know, Vili just, you know, uh, they lied to him, right? And um, Hi, H-Y, lied to him, and he just felt, uh, you know, he was hurt by that. So... 
but yeah, what you said is exactly right, which is we dropped two Titans and one super in. We uh, Villy was doing it piecemeal and letting them tether up. So, you know, the, a try thing wouldn't happen, right? Where the 10 Titans got killed. And uh, I think that the, the Onyx decloaked because it seemed a little rushed. So an Onyx decloaked, we killed the Onyx and then a Proteus decloaked. And the Proteus was able to light the Sino and get another 10 in. One of our Titans jumped out. The other Titan died, and also the Nyx died. The Nyx, you know, God bless his heart, he deployed fighters to help protect the Titans. So, you know, his heart was in the right place, but by deploying fighters, he wasn't able to tether. So he died. I got to play devil's advocate here. I don't think it was a betrayal at all. Um, as an FC, you've got your guys, like, you've done some planning. You've got your guys all up, maybe alarm clocked even. You got them all up for an op. You can't just give it away to the FC that you're going for, that you're going for them. Like, it's just, it screws your own guys over. Um, and hi, also, reading the combo, Hi was basically just like, Philly asked him, Hi de deployed some pocket sand, talking about Amamaki or some shit, and then went for him. But yeah, uh, I don't see, yeah. So as a, I can, I can, I don't think Snuff did anything wrong in my opinion, but, you know, I'm a third party, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point, dude. That's a good point. Silver, how about you? What's your shout-out for today? CCP, how about that? I, I like the trailer. Um, I think they need to do more of it. I think they may need to make a more effort to get those into mainstream gaming media, have it covered by other podcasters outside of the EVE community. I think they need to... I want to see it. Like I, broke, I got brought into the game with seeing BTACR covered on another gaming site. So the more they could push that with these type of videos uh, would be good. But good, good, good job on the on the video. Okay, and my shout out goes to the Declarations of War podcast. Uh, this is because I forgot to like mention it at all on the last episode when we had our special guest Alexia of Card. For those unfamiliar, the Declarations of War podcast is a podcast started by Alec. I think it is the longest continuously running Eve podcast now, so it is even older than TIS is just been going for years and he's been running that thing with a rotating cast of co-hosts at the moment it's myself and another guy named Levitain so he was there I was there we should have mentioned it but we didn't making up for that now declarationsofwar.com if you want to go and listen to that but that'll do it for this week's episode of the Talking in Stations midweek update season 1 episode 9 you can check out the Sunday show this week at 1600 Eve time and we'll be back again next Thursday see you then <laughs>